and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing really well. Uh, I'm just waiting, drooling in anticipation for uh, the Snyder Cut to drop. <laughs> I, you know what, this, uh, a peek behind the curtain listener, uh, this was my top of the show topic, but I appreciate how on board you are. You're, you know, you're, you're part of the team. Um, yeah. Oh man. Who, who isn't, uh, it's, yeah. One thing that, uh, that I've been seeing for like the last, I think two years, uh, maybe not quite that long, but just so many people, uh, people that I know on Facebook and, and Twitter would uh, be in, would like repost a release the Snyder cut kind of thing. <laughs> and it's just one of those, it's just one of those things. I know that there, there are people that really love Zack Snyder. There are people that uh, uh, appreciate what he does. You and I did one of, in my opinion, one of our better profile episodes was about Zack Snyder in which we came to the conclusion mm-hmm. that he's, that his films are always interesting, but tremendously dumb. Uh, and it's somehow possible. What was that? I don't remember doing that. It was quite a while ago. Um, and, uh, yeah. So when I, when I heard that the Snyder cut was actually happening, um, my first thought was like, okay, I'm, I'm curious to know if this would have happened if this was going to happen no matter what, or if this is a function of the pandemic, and uh like hbo max needing more content a word we'll get to later um Mm -hmm. but uh but either way i mean i'm 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 always happy when a director is able to do what they want to do and and make the film that they want to make um that said it's still a Zack snyder movie I'm absolutely going to watch it. Like it's, it's, I saw the, the, the theatrical justice league, which obviously uh, Zack Snyder wasn't able to finish because of a a tragedy in his, in his life. And I feel terrible about that, obviously, but, um, but I'm, I'm very curious uh, to see like, all right, let's see how different this would be if he had, uh, if he had total control and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not holding out a lot of hope like this is, but at, at coming, I believe it's, it's up to four hours. Like this is going to be his opus and he clearly feels, or, you know, maybe he doesn't, uh, by all accounts, he's a very nice guy with not a great deal of ego. Um, but, uh, you know, he probably feels a, a bit of a mandate, uh, when you have so many people saying release the Snyder cut and it's like, all right, here we go. I'm going to, I'm not going to hold anything back. This is going to be the Zack Snyderiest uh, movie I've ever made, and so uh, I'm I'm excited to see it. But that doesn't mean that I have much hope for it being good at all. Uh, I did not like the theatrical cut. Like I know they brought in Joss Whedon to try to Avengers it up a little bit, and I didn't really appreciate that. Uh, in fact, I thought the movie was was on top of everything else. I thought it was visually ugly. Like it it looked vomitous to me uh the the look of that movie but uh but yeah so the snyder cut is coming out soon i think like mid march and i will be first in line that doesn't really apply but uh, i'm i'm eager to see it because i mean i guess so that i can say i told you so to all the people saying release the snyder cut it's like yeah really think about what you're saying when you say that Uh, you're still talking about a snyder movie i um I'm not going to say that, of course, to be honest, the chances that I watch this thing are very low, but sure. I am. I want it to be good because I think I like the idea of a, a a director who uh, has a, uh, a style, a, a stylistic point of view being given free reign and just like indulging sure. himself. I, I like that idea. I also, it's, this has also gotten caught up. I know you're being a new father. You're, uh, I don't know if you're following, uh, the news, uh, as much, but this has also gotten up in the, uh, gotten caught up in the recent uh, reckoning with Joss Whedon and his, uh, sure. uh, apparently even longer. We, you know, we had heard some allegations from Ray, Ray Fisher of him of unprofessional behavior on the justice league set. And now we've got people coming out of the woodwork to say like, this is not a new thing with Joss Whedon that he was, uh, uh, 
baby tyrant on the, on the Buffy and Angel sense yeah. and was and, and uh, treated people uh, terribly. And so now there's a. It, it's interesting because um, it's changed. The, the The Snyder Cut used to be like, like, oh, if this movie is good, this movie coming out, the fact that this movie is being made, this or this whatever you want to call it, uh, this project is being made at all plus the fact that it's good will only embolden the worst parts of fanboy culture. That's true. Yes. But now there's another competing aspect where it's like, now we kind of hope it's good to sort of add to the comeuppance to Joss Whedon and say that his, Mm. his behavior on the, uh, on, on the set, uh, uh, didn't even, uh, not only was it not warranted to begin with, it didn't even uh, result in a good movie, which I guess it didn't. It, it surely didn't. Uh, and I guess the other thing uh, <laughs> I was thinking about this recently, because as you know, uh, I somewhat recently rewatched the Magnificent Ambersons for the first time in like 20 years. And even though it is wonderful, even the compromised version, uh, there is something frustrating. And I know there's a, a multi-decade gap in between, but there's something frustrating about uh, we can, we'll, we'll never get the full cut of the Magnificent Ambersons, but don't you worry. The four hour uh, Zack Snyder cut of uh, Justice League is right around the corner. But you know what? I guess we got the other side of the wind, so I'll take what I can get. Um. Before we go, in, uh, go any further, I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, today I was listening. I haven't done this in a while, but um, uh, a lot of people have died lately, so I'm going to highlight uh, okay. someone. Uh, I'm just going to pick one and highlight someone who who has uh, uh, passed away. Uh, Miles Seaton, Miles Cooper Seaton uh, from the band Akron Family um, passed away uh, at a very young age. He was only in his, in his early uh, 40s. Uh, Akron Family, I don't know if you've listened to them, Tyler, but I feel like they're up your alley. And hmm. I say that partially because they were signed to um, Michael Gira's label and have played with Angels of Light Oh, okay. uh, a lot of, in fact, the musicians from Akron family are the band on uh, an Angels of Light album. They oh, also right. released a collaborative album together. They're very, the those two. I know you're an Angels of Light fan, and those two, yes. those two bands, Akron family and Angels of Light, are kind of all mixed up uh, together. So uh, tragic to to lose Miles uh, Seaton uh, so so young. But um, listen to Akron family and listen to his solo stuff. Uh, it'll sound great if you've got tweakedaudio.com here. It'll sound great anyway, but it'll sound especially good on your tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Yes, let's. Although I, I, we're so bad at this, we have a book out. <laughs> and, uh, oh right, yes, and buy you know, our book. Yeah, buy our book. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Battleship Pretension presents the 101 best movies of the 2010s. The book is now available, uh, and you can buy it. Uh, at battleshippretension.com. At the moment, we're only shipping within the U.S., but I am very close to uh, putting together a, uh, a print-on-demand option, which will uh, enable international listeners to to get a copy. So, and here's the good um, thing for me about the print-on-demand thing. Okay, is that as you and I know, there is an error that was yes. Made. So, so the physical copies that have been shipped out have uh, a little like error correction card yeah. uh, uh, in them. Um, but if you order the print on demand version, as soon when, when that's ready, which will be soon, that error will have been fixed. That's right. So uh, uh, yeah, it's so me. It, it infuriates me. Like I, I have lost a little bit of sleep knowing that that error is there. It bothered me. I'm, I'm uh, now I've just uh, accepted it, but it's like, yeah. 
and people who have the physical copy will know what the error is. It's so stupid because it's on the one hand, so it's, it's a glaring error. Yeah. On the other hand, you fully understand how we missed it. It wasn't the yes. thing that we were looking at. Yes. There were multiple, it went through multiple uh, sections of editing and we By all missed it. People. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is just a, anyway, but, but yeah, uh, uh, but listeners have been, have, you know, people are now receiving their copies. We've gotten a few, a couple people, uh, both through Twitter and on Instagram and, uh, people have emailed me, uh, saying, Hey, I I've read the book already. And it's like, this is not a short book. So good for you. <laughs> um, but, uh, but they've been very complimentary and, uh, and I really appreciate that. But, uh, but yeah, so it is available for $14.99 plus shipping at battleshipretention.com. It is a way to support the website, support us, and also get a book that, uh, if I'm being honest, I'm very proud to be a part of. And uh, yeah, I'm proud to be a part of it. And I'm just proud of how cool it looks. It's a cool oh, absolutely. looking book. Our designer did a great job. Yes, he did. We get, we get a lot of compliments on the design, both inside, uh, both outside and inside. And there were a couple of little, uh, little pieces of flair on the inside that I was that he and I came up with together, but then I got cold feet and I was just like, I don't know, man, I don't know if people are going to go for this. And he goes, just, just go with it. It's fine. And, uh, and he was right. People really liked it. And, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, okay. So we got that away. Now let's get into it. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the, the last time, uh, the great Martin Scorsese caused a flap by questioning whether or not, uh, Marvel movies were uh, cinema. So I should say MCU because there are people who care about that distinction. Um, oh. I'm, I'm not among them. But what, uh, what's the distinction? Well, the distinction is that like Deadpool is a Marvel movie. Sure. It's not an MCU sure. movie, you know? Yes. Or, like, okay, I get movies it. are Marvel movies, but they're not MCU movies. Um, but uh, when Martin Scorsese suggested that the MCU movies were not cinema uh, we did a whole episode on what is, is, is cinema. So now, uh, Martin Scorsese has, uh, again, gotten people all up in a tizzy, I guess, sure. um, in an article he wrote an article he wrote about Federico Fellini. It's it's not about this, but he yeah. sort of opened it with a, and closed it. Uh, okay. You've read it more recently than I have oh, okay. opened it. And I guess closed it with a broadside against, the term content as it is currently used in the entertainment industry, the entertainment journalism industry, and even the, the world of entertainment consumers. Yeah. Uh, the idea that, 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 that movies, TV shows, any sort of moving image is all just content on a level playing field is the term that he, that he uses um, is, is uh is troubling to him and we wanted to talk about what that means whether or not it's troubling to us um i will say the first thing my first thought uh, uh about less about this article and more about the many responses i've seen to it is that i think because this is actually such as takes up a relatively small portion of the article which again mm -hmm. is mostly about fellini uh it has allowed people to project their own hangups on onto onto this and and treat the argument as if Martin Scorsese said things that I don't think he said. But then again, maybe I'm projecting sure my own now I'm, uh, hang ups. I'm not a part of film Twitter, so I have not seen the responses. Right. Um, I can imagine. I can imagine both. I can imagine uh, people saying, you know, absolutely, he's completely right, and I can imagine other people saying, no, he's being reactionary or, or whatever. What what has, has the reaction been to his? No, I'm saying there have been multiple reactions, so I don't okay. really even want to. We'll, we'll get those get to those because I want to see if they come up naturally. Anyway. Sure. Um, I will say, uh, my reaction was a general sense of agreement even though i tend to be very um wary of people who are old which we are but martin scorsese especially is yes um decrying the way that things are now and saying the way things used to be are better and they're definitely i mean his whole opening about like all the movie theaters in new york city that he used to go to is a very much a like 
you know, looking at the past, roasting the glasses type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think that has informed how some people have reacted to this. Um, the thi- but the thing that I, and again, maybe I'm projecting my own thing. What I take away from it is knowing, as I do, as we do, that one of Martin Scorsese's missions in life, apart from making great movies, which he's good at doing, is uh, movie film preservation. Mm-hmm. And what I see is the danger of treating these things as just replaceable, endless content uh, uh, opens up the threat that they will not be taken, seen as an individual film will not be because this 120 minutes is no different from any other 120 minutes. Right. Is it worth preserving? Is the archiving part of it worth it? And that's, that's my, um, that's, that's my hang up because he talks about, and I tried to find, I was just skimming it. I couldn't find it. Uh, but he talks about the idea of, uh, people, the people who are in charge of movies getting made, don't know about movies and actually don't think that they ought to don't think that that's part of their job description. And that's something uh, I know. I don't say what I do, uh, but I will say I love my job. I work in the movie industry and I love my job. And a big part of why I love my job is because I am lucky enough to work in the movie industry in a department full of people who care about movies. Mm-hmm. And if this had been my first job out of college, my first job moving to Los Angeles, maybe I wouldn't have appreciated that so much, but having kicked around for a while and realized how many people who are involved in the movie industry don't know or give a shit about movies is so depressing. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I, uh, uh, when I, hear Martin Scorsese talk about these kind of executives. I'm like, I know exactly what he's talking about. And it, it, it does scare me that, that, uh, that higher ups, people who are, uh, making movies, not only like, I, I'm going to repeat myself, but not only do they not know movies, they don't really pretend to because they don't think that caring about film history and film quality is part of their job description. And it really isn't part of their job description. Clearly, they can do fine uh, without knowing those things. I do. I, I, I remember um, uh, many, many episodes ago, we had Paul Rust on the show and he talked about getting cast in uh, Inglorious Bastards. And there really wasn't a part for him. All the bastards had been cast, but he was in the audition with Quentin Tarantino and they wound up just talking about old movies. And Tarantino essentially create it not that not that it's much of a part but he created like another bastard character and so that paul rust could be there so that he had someone to talk movies with uh and it's like that's so okay well clearly there are some people uh directors especially who who value film but uh yeah on the executive level i mean i i wouldn't be surprised this is completely speculation on my part i wouldn't be surprised if some if some uh some people on the studio side might see it as a liability. Like the more wrapped up you are in film history, the less likely you are to embrace what might be around the next corner. Uh, You might cling to uh, this older idea of what movie is, what cinema is and that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, I could actually see it being something that is actively discouraged uh, lest you uh, not have your finger on the pulse of what, uh, of what, people want. Um, and I certainly being a a teacher and currently teaching film history, uh, this semester, I I can attest to that, that like students for the most part, like these movies aren't relevant to their lives. I try to make them relevant by referencing, Hey, you see this thing from the 1920s. It really influenced this thing that we are still doing today. Um, but yeah, they, they don't need to know that in order to appreciate what's happening today. And, uh, and it's, it can be frustrating sometimes. And I feel like, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm just, what is What's the expression? Like just like yelling into the wind or whatever it is, like yeah, just yeah. getting drowned out. But uh, anyway, so I'm reminded of this, I, I, I don't think I can tell too many details of the story. So it's not going to be as satisfying as if I, we weren't on mic mm-hmm. and I told the story, but uh, back in 2006, I was a PA, an office PA on a movie. And 
one of my other one of my fellow PAs had as his sort of like desktop desk desktop god damn it desktop background on his there movie. we go uh he had the poster from i'm not gonna say what it is but a famous 50s horror movie that we've heard of okay that, that, that most people who know movies have have heard of and one day the producer was walking by our office and stopped and was like what is that uh and my coworker like told him and he was like huh and it turns out he this producer was in the midst of developing a movie with the same name as this movie that hmm. you and I and most people who know movies know of and it had never if it had never if it if my coworker had not put this thing on his desktop never would have known uh, or maybe would have known way later in the process that oh there's already a famous movie called this <laughs> and and you know what Maybe it's not that famous, you know, uh, yeah, film nerds, it, film nerds know it, but apparently this producer didn't. But what I'm saying is I, 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 I guess I wish producers were film nerds. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. I wish, I kind of wish everyone was a film nerd. Um, no, <laughs> well, I guess I that's, know, that's probably yeah, not true. Where would our currency go? Yeah. Then we're not, we're not special. And I think it's arguable that we're not special, but, um, <laughs> hey, we, we put out a book. That's true. Uh, available at battleshipretention.com, only $14.99 plus shipping uh, only within the U.S. at the moment. Um, what I will say is, as I was reading through this article, specifically the, the part that we're talking about, the Fellini stuff is interesting, of course. Um, I'm not, I, I wish I were more familiar with Fellini's work, but uh, anyway, um, it reminded me of a paper that I wrote at UCLA in which I taught, it was called the vulgarization of modern film criticism. It is speaking of books. It is only available currently in uh, my book, cinematic suffering, which I think you can buy at more than one lesson.com, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. And so in it, uh, I talk about the, the, uh, Oh, hang on a second. I'm getting a text. Um, we're so unprofessional today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do talk about uh, the, the, the impact of, of the internet on film criticism, especially, but I also talk about, uh, I also touch on the idea of curation, um, uh, which he, he discusses as well, uh, which is having people who, and this sounds so elitist, uh, which I guess is a term he, he used in here as well. He says curating isn't undemocratic or elitist, um, a term that is now used so often that it, it's become meaningless. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the idea that people who know are decide are saying, Hey, they're not gatekeepers, but they're saying, Hey, this is really good. And, and I'm now going to present it to you as opposed to just everything being uh, an algorithm, everything just being content. Uh, so I did write about that. Uh, I tried to write it more as just like a portrait of things as opposed to, um, you know, a, a an angry tirade about it because uh, I think, I think academic institutions frown on that. Um, but, uh, but this did remind me of, of that paper, but it also, it did seem a, just a little bit like, uh, it did seem a little bit like an old man yells at cloud to go from that uh, with that wonderful Simpsons headline of Abe Simpson yelling at a cloud. Um, because, when it comes right down to it, whether we're talking about content or, you know, in, in, in my article, like vulgarization in that case, meaning not merely actually the concept of actual vulgarity, but the idea of making something very common. And what we're really talking about here is the internet and the, the way that the internet through democratization can't help but flatten things. It puts everything on a level playing field. I feel like you simply cannot help it. Um, and he mentions Criterion Channel. He mentions Movie. He mentions TCM. He mentions Curation. And those exist. They're out there. Uh, and so when I, when I read this, I feel like, yeah, that's... Of course, I value cinema. And it bothers me that, that 
putting everything on a level playing field devalues the concept of cinema, but it's not like it's really, it's not actually going anywhere. And from the, from the, from the idea of, 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 uh, preservation, I guess that is a genuine concern where, how how does anyone decide what to preserve if, uh, as he mentions, a Super Bowl commercial and a David Lean movie are on an even even playing field? So that I I get, but as far as uh, as far as just kind of what he's talking about, just sort of decrying the the devalue the devaluing or or redefining of of cinema or even just throwing out the idea of of cinema in favor of content, I see where he's coming from, but I also feel like it's it's just kind of how things are now and there are good aspects to it which he does acknowledge um i don't know so i've i've been talking a lot here sorry about that well i talked a lot before that and there and there's a uh, i i said a lot here and bounced around a bit so uh yeah i i uh i do see what you're what you're saying i think i this is what i mean about people projecting their own grievances is that like i the things that you're saying seemed like a minor part of the article to me, uh, but they are the same things that certain, some people have latched onto. And I, um, and that's just because of I'm entering into it with my own uh, worries about archiving and preservation. Sure. Um, but I, uh, I, I do think you're right that, that I, I don't like uh, gatekeeperism but I also feel like sometimes the term is misused mm-hmm. because when I say I don't like gatekeeperism, I mean, I don't like people saying that's, that that's not good. Don't watch that. Right. Or that doesn't count as whatever cinema, even, you know, I, I you know, I, I think the MCU movies are cinema because they are, that's what, mm-hmm. uh, that's the conclusion I came to when we did that episode a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, but curation is different. Curation is recommending something. And there's also no like, uh, uh, contract. You don't have to, just because someone, you go to a video store, let's say, Mm -hmm. and the person behind the video, behind the the counter, you or me, uh, recommends a movie. There's no contract that you then have to rent that movie. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, but I still think it, it goes further back for me in, in terms of there's still a different kind of gatekeeperism happening. Uh, and that has always been happening in the movies with people deciding what does and doesn't get made. Sure. And, um, when the people who make those decisions, uh, don't, don't even see the thing they're green lighting or red lighting, whatever movie you sure. green light is, um, as worthy for the same reasons that its intended audience does and that its makers do. I worry about the, the, the gaps, the gulfs. I worry about, as I always do, like I said, this isn't anything new, but I worry about all the unmade films. And I think for me, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I don't like the idea of, of reducing things solely to content. I see what he's talking about, but I do try to think in terms of, of the, if you are just a, a, a mindless Netflix executive, okay. And you only give a shit about content and just having as much stuff available on your platform as possible it could be argued that you actually don't care. You're not thinking about box office anymore. You're not thinking about like you are, you, you might wind up green lighting. Yeah. You're probably going to green light a lot of shit, but you might also green light something that otherwise might not be made because, and you might not even know you're taking a risk. Um, you know, uh, because if content is content, no matter what, then there's really no reason to not green light something because it's too weird. Um, and similarly, you know, having just, just rewatched, uh, the Irishman and, and obviously again, Scorsese references the fact that he has worked within a, a streaming context. I mean, it's Martin Scorsese. He can basically do whatever it is he wants, but if he made the Irishman, 
for for a studio and it was going to be a, a traditional release i i do wonder not if the studio would have said hey marty we can't have this be almost four hours i think that he might not even think as it, think in terms of making it as long as it is hmm. i think he knows he has an idea of what a movie is and he's made longer movies obviously not longer than not longer than the irishman but he has made long movies he's not opposed to that but when you get to like three hours and 40 45 minutes that is that's very long and i think he might for lack of a better term, sort of self-censor and decide, well, this isn't necessary. That isn't necessary because it's being released in the, in a traditional format, but Netflix, I think allowed him both uh, as far as how he's thinking. And again, this is speculation on my part. I have no idea. Maybe he would have made it four hours no matter what, but, um, but whether anybody, uh, whether studio executives were on board with that, is, is another story. But when it's Netflix, it's like, Hey, we've got Martin Scorsese. We have a Martin Scorsese film. We're going to let him do whatever he wants because you know, it, it's just a click. We're not, we're not thinking in terms of how many showings can we have? We're thinking in terms of clicks. And and so if it's four hours, if it's one hour, who cares? It still gets the click. And so, you know, I, I I'm not, I'm not arguing in, favor like fervently in favor of of the the mindset of content but i do think that it can allow more freedom and maybe more things being greenlit i mean for god's sake i made a documentary uh (laughs) in 2020 uh granted it's, it's extremely low budget but it and it's not like the people at faith life said well hey we need content but I think, I think they believed in the project, but I also think it's like, yeah, it's another thing. It's another faith life original. That's a thing they can say. Um, and so I kind of benefited from it. Uh, and I think a lot of people have, so I'm trying to, I, I, you know, far be it from me to say that, uh, Martin Scorsese is wrong as he's talking about the concept of movies, but, uh, but I'm trying to see it from, from the perspective of if this is the new norm, is it wholly negative? And I don't think it is. And I don't, I don't think it is either. I, and I also, furthermore, I don't think he thinks it is. I think this is the other tendency that I, that I, I disagree with this tendency to see Martin Scorsese says this, but does this as hypocrisy. I don't see it as hypocrisy. I say the fact that Martin Scorsese has been so willing to embrace new technology, not just by having a, three and a half hour movie on streaming, but also to extensively use uh, sure. CGI de-aging also go back 3D to 3d technology with Hugo um, three. Yeah. Yes. That's a good one. And then go back to uh, the aviator and the use of digital intermediate to change the color mm-hmm. into like two strip technicolor uh, emulations. Um, the fact that he's so willing to keep up with the technology uh, to me means we should take him seriously we shouldn't we shouldn't say this is maybe this isn't an old man yelling at the clouds to to copy what you said um uh maybe he does have a point because he's he's clearly with it in so many other ways yeah i don't mean i certainly don't mean to suggest that i think he's a hypocrite um uh at all uh i'm not saying uh that he's that he's like saying, uh, don't, 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 don't think about the Irishman. Just think about what I'm saying right now. Uh, it's nothing like that. Um, and I would agree with you that he more so than, I'd say a lot of older directors has shown himself to be just as vital and uh, able to adapt, uh, yeah, than, than, than many others, uh, as we've said before, like the fact that he had the Wolf of Wall Street in him, uh, mm-hmm. at such an older age to say nothing of silence. And, and then the Irishman like really speaks to his, his willingness to be ambitious and not, and not say no to anything. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. I don't think this is him. I think it's him saying like, okay, Hey, I'm working within the system. A lot of people are working within the system. There's a lot of good that can come from the system, but maybe, let's just occasionally take a step back and not embrace it completely. 
uh, let's not just give ourselves over to the idea of content. And I would definitely agree with that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic, which is rare for me. At, at whom do you think Scorsese's criticisms are aimed? I don't mean like, we know what he's criticizing, yeah. but whom do you think is his intended audience? Uh, hmm. uh, who do you think is his intended audience? Do you think he's, because I think our differences in opinion here come from a difference in who we, we think is meant to be listening to this. Whereas I see it as being like for the benefit of the industry. Yes. And I feel like you see it as being more for the benefit of the consumer. The thing, uh, the thing that he's saying. Well, certainly I, I don't think the consumer is using the word content. Uh, I think it's, that's completely industry. I don't know that that's actually not, uh, because like I, I, I used, I referenced entertainment journalism before. And I think, sure. Uh, another thing that's happened, you know, in the age of the internet, which is not new at this point, mm -hmm. but, um, like shop talk and like, uh, uh, and, and terms of art are now used by th the, th the thing I always point to is that before the internet was a big deal, the little coming attractions that played before a movie, we called them previews. Yeah. After the internet, we called them trailers because we all found out that that's what the industry called them. Yeah, that's true. And so, uh, I, I think that, uh, there's that part of that flattening, this is getting off topic here, but part of that flattening that you talked about before is that, uh, um, the consumer knows the, the, the terminology. And it's also part of the, um, the, in, it, not that this is a new thing either, but uh, the increasing expanse of journalistic entertainment, journalistic outlets that are essentially like arms of the publicity, right? right? That they're just repeating uh, what they're, what they're told. They, you know, in exchange for, for access and exclusivity, they get to parrot uh, press releases first, you know? Um, and so I think this way of thinking does have a way the the the, stu the studio industry way of thinking does have a way of seeping through bad journalism and uh, and and other outlets into the minds of the consumers. I think that's and a also, good point. I, I, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. That's uh, also, we've seen uh, the other thing we've seen a real rise in, at least in my lifetime, is people being fans of brands you know what i mean sure that that like there are just like people who my thing is i like disney or yeah. uh my or, or even more specific you know because disney owns all these different brands you could you know say my thing is marvel or or conversely my my thing is dc and people take these uh th take these these sides and they uh identify with yeah uh what my still beating punk rock punk rock soul says is the enemy. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, I don't think there's a, there's a divide, but I do uh, think you and I are assuming different things about who Martin Scorsese is intending to take these words to heart. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think he's taking the industry to task, but I do think that you, you make a good point, which is there, there, the barrier between like the insiders and, uh, and the, the consumer is, is being broken down pretty, uh, consistently. So yeah, it is possible that I guess, uh, your average uh, movie watcher is aware of the term content and might actually use it in regards to, uh, in the way the industry does. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't think this is him, uh, taking the audience to task. Um, I think, I think if the audience, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, 
anybody reading an article by Martin Scorsese about uh, Federico Fellini in Harper's uh, Bazaar in Harper's Bar probably converted already. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I think this is very much for the industry, but I, I definitely, <laughs> wait, you don't think they have Harper's Bazaar, uh, the, the waiting room at the oil change place, <laughs> the one that I go to. Yes. But, uh, that's why I chose Only it in Hollywood. <laughs> Exactly. Where everybody loves movies, except the people that make them. Um, yeah, uh, I, do. <laughs> um, I do. I definitely, I see what you mean as far as like projecting, because I, I think my tendency because of, you know, le lecturing at very specific types of, of film festivals and then being a, a, a professor, I think I tend to put a lot more on the consumer, a lot more on the audience. Uh, I mean, obviously th there is this, this, uh, I'm not going to say, I won't think in terms of free market because I think that art goes beyond that, but like if the audience is seeing something, then they will, then the studios will make more of that. Uh, but I also think that uh, certainly in the days of, of streaming, when uh, a streaming service just wants as much stuff as it can, they'll just put whatever out, even if it's, if it's unproven um, just because they're, they're able to, but, um, but yeah, I definitely think that I, I instinctively, Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I'm willing to lay any. I mean, I'm an Orson Welles fan, so obviously, uh, I will lay all manner of evil at the at the feet of studio executives. <laughs> but, um, but I do think that, yeah, audiences, there are things that they they would probably like that they have no idea about, and if you try to suggest it, then they might call you an elitist. They might call you a snob or whatever it is. Um, the way I've heard people talk about movies as they would not as content, but as as just entertainment, only ever entertainment. Uh, and we did an episode about that as well. Um, and there's nothing wrong with the concept of entertainment, but when people talk about it in terms of any movie that's trying to do something or explore something, uh, is something that's like, no, you're not getting what this is meant to be. And so I've come across so many viewers, even people that would consider themselves fans of movies. I've come across so many that have a very limited view and are more than willing to lap up uh, whatever a studio executive is willing to put out there as content. I mean, it's interesting the things that he lists. A David Lean movie, a cat video, a Super Bowl, Super Bowl commercial, a superhero uh, sequel, a series episode, it's all content. And it's like, yeah, these are, I mean, uh, on like Facebook and, and maybe not so much uh, Twitter, but like on Facebook, I see people, they share, Hey, here's a trailer for this movie. Here's a funny uh, video. Here's uh, the latest. Uh, here, here's a really interesting Super Bowl commercial. Like it is it. I see what he's saying. And I do think that like, though admittedly i've never seen anybody say this super bowl commercial is just as good as uh as uh, avengers endgame you know uh, i have never seen anybody say that but um i think i've seen plenty of super bowl commercials that are just as good as avengers probably, endgame probably yeah yeah but that says more about my opinion of avengers endgame sure let's say infinity war let's say the the, okay. the better one yeah, the better. um but uh but yeah so yeah i probably even though this is undeniably him holding executives feet to the fire. Um, I think my instinct is to say like, yeah, but as viewers, we can probably be better. And by we, I tend to mean they, cause I, cause I'm an asshole. Um, but yeah, if, if we are going to get into the, the old manness of it, uh, I, I, I will say that, the way he opens the article with all of the like, you could see this movie at this theater and this movie. Yeah. At the, sorry, this picture. I got to be Martin Scorsese. There you go. Yeah, uh, you walked on the street and go see this picture. Um, <laughs> uh, You're not talking fast enough, David. Yeah, no, I know. Um, the way he describes that as if to imply that that kind of choice isn't available anymore. He's implying two things that aren't true. He's implying that you can't today see 
a whole collection of movies right. uh, uh, whenever you want. He also seems to be implying that like more people did that at the time. And I don't know that that's true. I think, right. I still think most of the populace was just going for whatever was being pushed at them by the, 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 the loudest voice with the biggest footprint or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so here, yeah, I, I came on here to defend Martin Scorsese in this thing, but you've got me criticizing uh, certain things because I do like the um, uh, democratization. I do hate gatekeeperism as I defined it earlier. Um, uh, and I'm, uh, and to, one thing that to, to echo your point from earlier um, that I made about like uh, mumblecore and digital cinema and, uh, and, and all of those type of things is that uh, having more crap out in the world is worth it if it means we also get more great stuff sure that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise so um yeah the fact that anyone can make a movie with their iphone or whatever the thing that people say is um is like yeah a lot of people are untalented and gonna make bad movies with their phones but there's gonna be a handful of people who maybe wouldn't have been able to make a movie otherwise who are potentially gonna make something new and great uh and and maybe even you know, change the world, but, uh, and who's to the industry or the art form at least. And who's to say that the people making the, 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 just the crap on their iPhone might not eventually make something good. They might actually kind of fall in love with just the process. And in doing so, yeah, maybe they don't delve deep into the, you know, the world of, uh, uh, you know, Soviet montage films or something like that. Um, but, but they will come to appreciate craft, which immediately will get them thinking about what a movie is and why a movie is or, or a short video or whatever is more effective. So they are thinking about it artistically. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, perspective. And I think that in this, you see, I think Martin Scorsese has a very good perspective on most things, as you've talked about already, which is his, his willingness to embrace technology, whether it be, you know, uh, exhibition technology or filmmaking technology. Um, His willingness to do that shows, I think, a, a willingness to expand his his definition of what a movie can be um which i think shows a great deal of perspective but i think like everybody else um who have spent years specializing in one specific thing i think it's possible to lose perspective on on what other people know and what other people value i as i'm you know there are movies that i will reference when i'm teaching a class and i will reference it like it is the most obvious thing in the world because to you and me it has it is and has been for years but for my for my students uh you know they might not know the shorthand of of even even like the the best known films uh, or like throughout the ages like Casablanca for example Casablanca is a movie that people have heard of but uh you know maybe a lot of people haven't seen but of course my students haven't heard of it I'm teaching uh freshman high schoolers uh getting college credit right now we watched Casablanca when we were talking about the section on World War II none of them had heard of it you know, and Have and in my, of it? I guess that makes sense. But I, I think I, one or one or two of them had, and certainly their parents said, "Oh, that's a great movie." You know, um, yeah. I was gonna say, I, I almost, I almost said, "Well, I would have heard of Casablanca when I was in ninth grade," but that's because that was thirty fucking years ago. Yeah, it was. It w- we were closer <laughs> to its release. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, Casablanca only came out 40 years before I was born. I know that's that seems like a long time, but it's a lot f- longer now <laughs> than uh, than it was then. But um, right. So it's like a movie that came out in 1980. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Which is yeah. Which doesn't feel old to me, you know, yeah. uh, at this point, even though that's two years before I was born. Anyway. Um, so that means John Borman's Excalibur. That's a classic in the way that Casablanca was to a ninth grader. 
you get it. You've gotten exactly what I'm saying. See, as always, I go on and on and then you sum it up perfectly. Uh, I appreciate that. That's why we host a show together. Um, Have you shown your students John Borman's Excalibur? Uh, multiple times uh we do a frame by frame kind of thing anyway um uh so but yeah as you're talking about like saying like oh you can go and see this movie you can go and see that movie it's like yes you can but i noticed that he's not referencing yeah just the 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 dumb beach movies that came out or the the shit the the shitty sci-fi movies or whatever um just like yeah, there are great movies to be seen on streaming services. And when theaters were open, there are great movies to be seen there as well, along with a lot of crap. And I think, you know, when you, we've talked about this before that when you're talking about the past, well, the bad stuff, tend, the, the great stuff rises to the top. And so you talk about it and after a while you forget the bad stuff. To, so, so eventually you start to just think of the past as better because you're remembering the good stuff. Um, whereas in the present, you're seeing everything that's you're, you're aware of everything that's out there, good and bad. And so I do think that he in that section that you're talking about, I think he has lost a little bit of perspective. And yeah, pe- people it, saw everything back then. Yeah. Just like they do now. Right. But again, I have to remind myself we are the content part of this article is only a small part. The article is really about Fellini. And so you have to remember that, that I have to remind myself that the whole part about all the movies that were out is really just an entree into saying that Fellini stood above them all or whatever. Sure. Like, yes, it's, it's, I think it's more about him saying this was a great time. There was a lot of great European cinema coming to America, but none of it was as important to us as film buffs as, uh, as Fellini. So yeah, he's not just saying things were better back then. You know, I, I remember, uh, in, I think it was Roger Ebert's review of nine, which was the sort of the musical adaptation of eight and a half, um, which I didn't see. Um, okay. and I heard it was not that it wasn't that great though. I was curious cause like, well, oh, that has a really good cast. Um, but in his review, I think he didn't particularly care for it. And within it, he, he says, uh, you know, eight and a half is available. You should just go see it. Uh, just go watch that. And I remember thinking like, you know, obviously a film critic, like we we can reference whatever we want and we can say whatever we think is good and that's fine. But I also feel like, yeah, if there's somebody that's interested in this star studded musical, uh, that's, that's relatively mainstream and you say, Oh, just go watch eight and a half. You say that like, it's the most casual thing in the world. The uh, most people, by the way, the first time I saw eight and a half, I didn't care for it. You know, and so I do think that goes kind of uh, this. This is a different thing. I think it's about the 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 lack of not so much a lack of perspective. I mean, maybe it is Roger Ebert saying like, hey, a good movie is a good movie. And if uh, and you should go see it and try to appreciate it. But I also think that, like, you know, you and I've talked about recommending movies. And when we're talking to sort of a general audience or a more mainstream audience or, or a friend or whatever, we, we don't throw them into the deep end. And I, I feel like eight and a half for the, the average person is the deep end. It goes much deeper, but that's, that's, that's pretty deep for, for most people. Um, I was just thinking about that because of the, the Fellini thing. Uh, yeah. Um, I guess that, I mean, we're getting far afield and we should probably just start wrapping up. But, sure. Um, uh, I guess as things become older, they become more, challenging to people because the thing is Fellini's movies are not like they're fun movies they're not like it's right. not it's not Tarkovsky it's it, sure like it's it's fun stuff you know but now like I guess another like an easy example would be like William Shakespeare which was like populist entertainment at the time is now yeah. considered like uh the you know super highbrow uh stuff. Oh, man. so um so sometimes I think I forget that because maybe I'm like Roger Ebert here because I watch a lot of old stuff. And so to me, the fact that something is 50 or 60 years old, that's not a hurdle that I have to clear. And I forget that it is to other people. Yeah. I mean, so the, the week to week assignment for any of my classes, because we we will always watch a movie uh, in, in a given week is just, a 150 page personal reaction to the film. That's all I want. Not a, I'm, I'm not looking for a plot summary. I just want what you thought of it, positive or negative. 
And with the older movies, it is often, not always, but it is often negative. Uh, and one thing that's pretty consistent, whether we're talking about like uh, this week, we talked about uh, 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 like American genres. And uh, so we talked about like Westerns and film noir and the assigned movie was Scarlet Street. And Scarlet Street is pretty straightforward. Like as far yeah. as film noir, it's it has it's. It has a, it does not have the, the labyrinthine plot that you will see some from time to time, but that along with Casablanca, um, and he, and I showed, uh, it happened one night and the number of students that said this was really hard to follow was fascinating to me. And it's, and I, I acknowledge that like they are younger, but also I just feel like, you know, a, a main, a lot of mainstream movies these days have stories that are much harder that, that incorporate a lot more than Casablanca. Um, yeah. and yeah, so I, I do think that like, but I also wonder if, if the fact that these are older movies with different sensibilities, different pacing, and the fact that they're, they've all been in black and white, which a lot of my students have mentioned, um, if if all of that just all of that just sort of colors the way they look at the plot maybe the, yeah yeah um have well, so you're saying your students they refuse to watch what about malcolm and marie that's a brand new netflix movie yeah i mean of course they all watched it uh <laughs> but they you know they said like but that's i, I can't really follow this uh this as time goes by what no not as yeah, as time goes by, that's the song yeah. from Casablanca. Um, but yeah, it's it's, You're it's been me, these <laughs> these kids as middle schoolers weren't memeing and gifing the shit out of Pavel Pavlikovsky's Cold War. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I I didn't I I haven't taught middle schoolers. Actually, no, I, that's not true. I did teach middle schoolers as part of an after school program. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that one got thrown around a little bit. Sure. I'm just saying there are new black and white movies that they probably also haven't seen. Of course. Yes. Uh, um, right. You know, and when we were talking about silent film, they're like, look, we've all seen the artist. But uh, but this Harold <laughs> Lloyd thing is ridiculous. Um, but uh, anyway, that well, that was a fun little uh, yeah. <laughs> jerk off for us. Um, <laughs> look, we watch Blanca Nieves every sleepover. <laughs> <laughs> all right this is dumb we're off yeah. track let's wrap up yeah yeah once uh, again we've cer we've gone around and around not really saying anything uh and i hope i haven't come off as too negative against martin scorsese i'm not trying to but uh uh he's never going to be a guest on the show now Oh, he was right. Like his agent has, has been like, you know what, Marty, I think there's something going on here. And then, uh, cut to a week later, he goes, <laughs> never mind. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure Adam McGoyan said great things at the, uh, at the director's club. That's right. <laughs> <Meet up. laughs> Where everyone's just sitting around in silk robes. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously a well-written article. I think he's a very good, a very good writer and he's very straightforward. And even when he's saying stuff that not even that I disagree with, uh, because I think I do agree with him when it comes to like a, a lot of the content stuff and just sort of the, the shame of it. Um, but he's just, yeah, he's, I just, I, I, I like the way he writes. I, I need to read more of his like articles, like more of his academic writings. Cause I, yeah, cause whether, I, whether it was the Fellini stuff or, or, or anything else, I, I enjoyed reading this whole thing and it immediately made me want to watch more Fellini. That's what I was going to say is that there, there are a few, uh, a couple of big Fellinis that I haven't seen, especially he was talking about the later years, like Roma and Satyricon. I haven't seen mm -hmm. either of those. Um, so, uh, it made me want to do that. Uh, in the meantime, buy our book. Yes. I know we write about, uh, I wrote about at least one black and white movie, so be warned. I'm sure there are other black and white movies in there, but I don't want to give we, away. We, try, which... we tried to limit the number. Um, <laughs> I try not to give away what, what movies are in the book. So I don't want to talk about it right now, but uh, right. there's one that I know I wrote about today, uh, but I can't think of what else is in there that would be black and white. But um, 
anyway, that's not the point. The point is the book is available at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at davypretension. Uh, this week on the website, make sure to check out my reviews of the restoration of the 1972 documentary FTA uh, and uh, new movies, um, keep an eye out and boss level. Uh, there are reviews of those at battleshipretension.com. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Tyler, do you have anything to plug? Uh, not really. I would say, yeah, check out the book. And uh, if you're so inclined, uh, head on over to Faith Life uh, TV and watch my documentary, Real Redemption, The Rise of Christian Cinema. Uh, you would need to subscribe to do that, but they do have a, a two-week uh, trial period uh, and you can watch it. Uh, you can watch it there. All right. Other than that, uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 